toe race this morning when I saw him uh, walk in and, and, and just begin to prepare. I thought, I know one thing, when, when Ray sings, I'm going to get a strong message of encouragement about our great God. Every song he sings is, has something to do with that, and I love it. I love the songs he picks. That's great. Psalm 51, you're there, I hope and pray, and we're going to start <clears throat> in just a moment. But you remember our, our text first, John chapter 8 and verse 32. We're talking about the truth setting us free. And we asked a question a couple of weeks ago, just kind of flat out asked a question. Talked about uh, the bondage of sin that oftentimes uh, we just never shake, people never shake. And, and the truth of the matter is many cannot properly answer the question, are you saved? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We actually uh, said, listen, you know, answer that question. Everyone ought to ask themselves that on a regular basis. Are you saved? Am I saved? Is the answer yes? Well, if it's yes, is there anything in your life that you need to rededicate to God? Are there some things that, that you need to bring before him and say, God, I, I, need, to, uh, I need to examine my life in, in a way that would, I'd be able to present myself uh, to be used of you. I had to do that this morning. I know that I'm saved, but I want my life to be clear and clean. I want to be able to speak this morning with clarity, with power. Are you saved? Some would say no. I know that I'm not. I'm, I'm convicted about it. I know that I, I, I probably need to be. I, I, I'm not saved, and I, and I know that. Others might say I'm not sure that I'm saved, but it's good to be able to answer that question. Are you saved? Because the real evidence and proof that you've been genuinely saved, we said this a couple of weeks ago, is that you are growing in your life. There is a pattern of love for God's Word. You're in God's Word more. You love God's Word. It's more in you. And the result of that is knowing the truth and the truth setting you free. That's the result of that. Yes, salvation is a a one-time moment in our lives, but then the proof of that is shown for our entire lives. Otherwise, it seems like more, it'd be more logical to get saved and just go straight to heaven. But God says, no, I want you to be a living testimony. And your life should be proof of the decision that you made. Are you saved? And we're getting freedom from the bondage of sin. It all begins with salvation. We begin to get set free. It's a beginning process. We don't get perfect uh, when we get saved. But we begin that process of becoming perfect, of becoming more like Jesus. Everyone who is saved that is not becoming more like Jesus has has never been saved. It's impossible to get saved and for there not to be a radical, dramatic change in your life that puts you on a growing pattern of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. So the bondage of sin is what we're trying to be rid of throughout this series. And so now that we've kind of got that behind us and we've addressed that and, and we've looked at that, now let's talk about some other sins that we could be in bondage to. And so if I were to ask you the question, um, you know, we need to be free from the bondage of sin, your, your first statement might be, what sin? What sin is it that I need to be free from? Well, today we're going to look at the bondage of guilt. We're going to talk about getting free from the bondage of guilt. That's what we're going to look at this morning because this is such a relative subject to where we all live today. Every one of us, there is something in our lives that can haunt us. Uh, that can cause us to be defeated. And I want to give you just an interesting twist on this, according to the Scriptures, beginning in Psalm chapter 51. So take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51, and what I want to do is read the first 10 verses, and then I'll begin 
to teach from God's word. So Psalm 51, look at verse 1 here. David wrote this psalm. David wrote most of the psalms. We've got 150 of them. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. But Psalm 51 might be the most important psalm for us. It really might be. It might be the psalm that we need to read more than any other psalm to be reminded of something very, very important that we're going to see this morning. First of all, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. David goes on to pray, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know what we could add right there, even though it's not there? But here's what we could add right after verse 10. You ready for this? And you shall then know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let's talk about the truth this morning. What is the truth about guilt? What is the truth about the bondage of the sin of, uh, that, that is in our lives that brings oftentimes guilt to us? Well, let me begin with a little different twist, and I, I want to I make you think this morning. And sometimes preachers use these little uh, tactics, and, we, and I say tactics very loosely. What I mean is I want to I approach this with just a little bit, uh, going a little bit against the grain. Is that okay? Uh, just for a moment, to get you to think with me for, for just a moment. Here it is. You ready? I want to make this statement. Guilt is a good thing. That's going against the grain, isn't it? I, I don't know that that is... Uh, something that without a message could, could be supported. But I'm, I'm convinced this morning that guilt has a place in our lives. It's not nice, but it is necessary. It's not enjoyable, but guilt is definitely enlightening. It is not forever, but it is for now. You see, guilt is a moral alarm in our lives. It is an alarm in your morality that alerts you uh, to the fact that sometimes you are outside of God's boundaries. And so there is this thing called guilt that at times goes off in our lives. Our conscience, if you will, goes off and begins to beep. Woo, woo, woo. No, no, don't go there. Don't do that. That's wrong. That's not where you need to be. Or if you're already there, hey, wait a minute. Stop that. That's going to ruin your marriage. That's going to ruin your life. That's going to take you down a path you don't want to go. And the alarm begins to go off. The alarm in your morality that alerts you when you're outside of God's boundaries. Now, sadly, guilt and, and, and the sin it alerts us to have fallen on pretty hard times these days, as you can see by the condition of not just our country, but to be honest with you, the church. Here are some titles 
to some magazine articles just real quickly that uh, have been written in recent days. I am not super fond of the internet, but I do like it for one reason, because you can Google something and get some of the most amazing sermon helps that you've ever seen. I'm a big Google fan, because oftentimes when I'm stuck and I need a little help, I'll just put something in and think, here's what I got here. Here's some uh, magazine articles recently written about guilt. Here it is. One article said this, how to punish guilt. And that kind of goes against what I just said, if guilt's a good thing, how to punish guilt. Here's here's one. If you're feeling guilty, seven ways to get rid of guilt. Here's here's an article entitled, Guilt is a Useless Emotion. I can't remember if that was the one Ann Landers wrote or not. I know she's got some good stuff out there, but that was one that uh, I don't think was so good. Here's another article. How to manage guilt so it doesn't manage you. Go beyond guilt and regret to realize a new you. There's even a website called, and you can look this up, workingmomsagainstguilt.com. Yeah, it's interesting. You ought, to, you ought to look it up. Really, it's, it's interesting. Now, the sad commentary on all this is people don't deal with their guilt. It is there for a purpose. It should not be there forever. But it has a purpose in being there. And here's my proposition to everyone in the building this morning. Don't let guilt go away without letting it accomplish in your life what it's there for. So let's talk about the importance of guilt. How to use it and how to lose it. Because we want to get free from it. All in favor of God's children getting free from guilt. Amen? Amen. Well, we've got to learn how to use it first. And then we can learn how to use it. God's children are getting free from guilt this morning. But let's do it. Let's let it do what it's supposed to do before we get rid of it. So, Psalm 51. Here we go. Psalm 51. I want you to see here, as we uh, have already read through the passage, I want to give you a little idea of what brought this on. When I, read the pas- when I read the passage, I tried to read it with some intensity, with some feeling, with some emotion, because it's full of emotion. And I would encourage you to read Psalm 51 several times, even this week, and just feel the emotion of, of David's heart cry as he was writing these words, actually praying these words, and the Holy Spirit allowed us to have these words in Scripture for a reason. Who was David? Well, many of us know quite a bit about David, right? First of all, we know that he was an amazing king. David was an amazing king. And he was a godly man. David was a great worshiper. He really was. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. He was a great warrior for God. But even good people blow it, right? And David blew it big time. Big time. At a time when David should have been out At battle with the soldiers, he took a day off. He took a day off. He shouldn't have been taking a day off. It wasn't time to take a day off. It was time for him to be where he was supposed to be with his soldiers in battle. But he took a day off. And scripture recounts the story of on this particular day that David took off, that he should have been in battle, he went on top of a roof. And while he was on that rooftop... He gazed across maybe some other roofs, if you can picture in your mind, there where David was in Jerusalem as he looks across the vast amounts of of real estate there around him. And he saw a woman, and she was bathing. She was not dressed. She was naked. And as only a king could, David went and called for that woman to come to him. 
Only a king could do that. Go get her. That's the one I want. Go get her. Bring her to me. And David, in that moment of weakness when he should have been out in battle, brought Bathsheba to his home. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're not sure how long time passed. Probably at least a month. You ladies would know better than I. Two months maybe. At the most three. Bathsheba realized she was pregnant. She knew who the father was. Can you imagine that day? She goes to the palace and she knocks on the door. Let's just, for sake of the illustration, David comes to the door and and he says, do I know you? And she says, my name is Bath. And he says, oh yeah, you were taking a bath. (laughs) I remember that, Bathsheba. And she looked at David and she said, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine what, what must have been going as the guilt began to come over David? Now, wait a minute. David could have made some really good choices right there. Let's just stop the story. Can you imagine if that was the end of the story and David got right right there and confessed it and got it right and and got forgiveness? Can you imagine if David would have dealt with that first measure of guilt? Everyone listening? If David would have right then, right there. It was horrible already. It was awful already. But if he would have just stopped right there, he could have let the weight of his sin put him on a better path. But here's what he did. First thing he did was he sent her away. Then he sent for her husband. You know where her husband was? On the battlefield. Where David should have been. So he sends for Uriah and he brings Uriah back out of the battle to himself. And here's what David says. In a nervous frenzy, he says, "Uh, hey, hey, Uriah, I thought I'd give you a day off. Go spend the night with your wife. You know, like spend the night with her. Right? Like you miss her, right? Like. Like, spend the night. Everybody with me? Spend the night. David. Um, isn't it pretty universal, ladies? Help me out here. Nine months pregnancy, right? Is that right? Pretty much nine months is the term, correct? You know what sin does? It twists your thinking. David's making some really stupid decisions right now that don't even make sense and are going to get him in worse trouble. But he's dealing with a guy of such integrity that you know what Uriah said to David? David, my men are out in battle. I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. I'm not going to go home. And he just spent the night in front of the king's palace. This guy was incredible. Had far more integrity than even the king did. David realized that wasn't getting anywhere. Instead of responding right there to the guilt that was obviously, would you not agree, weighing heavy on him, he goes even deeper. He then writes a letter and to Joab, the captain of the army. And he gives the letter to you-know-who? Uriah. He gives Uriah his death sentence. And Uriah takes a letter that David wrote that said to Joab, the, the, the captain, put Uriah on the front lines. In other words, let's make sure he dies. Let's just make sure we get rid of this guy. Uriah, with all loyalty, doesn't open the letter, brings the letter to Joab and is instructed to go to the front lines. And you know what Uriah does, right? That's exactly what he's been instructed to do. He goes to the front lines. And David, and rather Uriah, is killed. And now what is David? Is David just an adulterer? Or do we need to add murderer now to his resume? Yes. David now is a murderer. 
And David now is an adulterer. The guilt, the guilt hanging over his head, night after night after night, a dark cloud that just won't go away. This went on for a whole year until in 2 Samuel chapter 12, a prophet shows up out of nowhere. And this is often how it has to happen. A prophet shows up by the name of Nathan. And Nathan, as only sometimes a prophet can, gets in David's face and says, Thou art the man. And in that moment, after all that time, and all that sin, and all that guilt, David is stricken by Nathan's words. And David finally says, I did it. I hid it. I covered it. And he is so overcome by this that he can't take the pressure anymore. And so he repents. And his guilt is removed. And he wrote Psalm 51. That's where we're at. Psalm 51. And this is when David got freedom from the bondage of guilt. I want to show you five things this morning in this passage about guilt. Here's the sermon. Five things about guilt that we're all going to take from Psalm 51 and the first 10 verses. And so in this little Bible study that, as Brother Matt mentioned, you're going to take and go deeper in your small groups this week. By the way, this would be a great week to get in a small group. Even if you're not a member of one, just find one. Come and see me after the service and say, look, i got to get in one this week. Where, where do they take place? This would be a good week because this is the kind of message that in the next 20 minutes, I'll not truly be able to do it justice. But you and your group can. As you go deeper into God's word. Number one. The first thing I want you to notice about guilt. In this passage is this. That the burden of unresolved guilt is incredible. The burden of unresolved guilt is incredible. Notice what David writes here in Psalm chapter 51. Look back at the text verse 1. Have mercy upon me. That's the first words David cries out. Please give me, God, please give me what I don't deserve. Have mercy on me. That's what mercy is. Have mercy on me, God. I I don't want what I deserve. I know what I deserve. But God, would you please give me, please give me, God. Please give me not what I deserve. David cries out and says, have mercy on me. Notice he goes on to say in in the text, and again, I'm, just going to kind of cover this little phrase by phrase. He says, oh God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, would you circle that word blot? Key word there, blot out my transgressions. Blot meaning this, that it's as if David's sins are listed. They've been written, right? That's what, to blot something would be to take some ink and to smudge it over what has been written against you. And he says, God, all of my transgressions are here. They are written before me. They are ever before me. And God, would you please blot them out? I'm so guilty, God. The weight of my guilt is killing me. Blot them out, God. You know what happens to a man or woman who has a ton of unresolved guilt in their lives? They're marked. By themselves. Here's why. This is the person that comes to church and then says to his wife on the way home, What have you been telling the preacher? I can't believe it. You went and saw him this week, didn't you? And your poor wife says, 
No, sweetheart, I didn't. And you're screaming at her. Sir, she did not come and see me, okay? You've been marked. The Holy Spirit of God is after you. And he's the one who's trying to get your attention. Don't get mad at me. Don't get angry at your wife. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, listen, I'm trying to get your attention. God's Spirit says, everyone doesn't know. A lot of people tell me, I just don't want to come to church. Everyone knows. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. He loves you. And with loving kindness, he comes to you and says, let me blot out your transgressions so you're not marked anymore, so you get that burden, that weight lifted off of your shoulders. This is your conscience, my friend. It is an eternal, an internal alarm that God has given you. It's awesome. It's a gift from God. And it says you're outside of the boundaries. That's what it says. And at first, it's really loud. And so it's best to listen to it when it's really, really loud. And if you don't deal with it, the burden of unresolved guilt, as we see in David's story, is incredible. Look again at verse number 2 of Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly. You know, what I, you know what I read there? I, I read that this is not a small thing. Wash me thoroughly. I'm super dirty. I'm super messed up. I, I've, I've had a man murdered. I've committed adultery. God, I am a mess. I need a thorough washing. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Interesting, isn't it? David covers, first of all, the outside. Wash me thoroughly. When, when, when you wash the outside, you wash the outside. You know, sometimes that's all we clean up is the outside. But notice, he doesn't stop at the outside. That's just, a, that's just a small part of your cleansing. A lot of us look good on the outside, but we're messed up on the inside. David says, cleanse me. That's the inside. We need an internal cleansing on the inside because the deepest stain of sin is on the inside jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22 says for thou for though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap yet thine iniquity is marked before me saith the lord it's marked before me it's it you can wash yourself you can get a lot of soap look at it much soap and you can say i look good i got my hair cut i'm wearing a suit i'm wearing a tie i'm a good christian maybe maybe not your external washing really doesn't tell us a whole lot sir and a lot of preachers will step in the pulpit this morning and look really good like this one does but that's not who they really are and you're not who you really are this morning, dressed in your nice clothing, and you look good. Everyone looks so nice today. But what's going on on the inside? Have you? Is there iniquity inside? And God says, listen, hey, I'd like to cleanse you this morning. I'd like to rid you of the burden of that guilt. So we need to deal with guilt God's way. So what are some of the wrong ways to deal with guilt? Well, number one, run from it. That's not... That's a wrong way to deal with guilt because you can run, 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 move, move, move. Here's what some people do. I'll just move to another city. I'll go to another church. I'll, I'll move. I'll go somewhere else. That's how I'll deal with it. But you know what your guilt does? It just moves with you. It just packs up and goes to the next church and the next and the next and the next. The next city just keeps moving. You can't run from guilt. 
What's another wrong way to deal with guilt? Try to cover it. Try to cover our guilt. Well, I'll cover it with activity. I'll just get real busy. I'll do a lot of things. I'll get so busy that it'll take my mind off of it. It'll make other people think I'm really spiritual because I'll be, I'll be doing this and I'll be doing that. I'll be very involved. And they'll start talking about all the good things I'm doing. And so I'll take my activity, my work. Some of us, we, we tried to cover it with righteous deeds. I'll just do a whole bunch of good stuff, you know. I'll just do more good stuff than I've done bad stuff. And, and, and that will cover it. But the guilt still rises above that wrong way to deal with guilt is to blame shift well it's not really my fault it's it's, you know yeah i did that but it's not my fault it's his fault it's her fault well it's it's my environment it's 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 the people i uh, it's the people around me but but you know what it always it always comes back to me again because here's the bottom line i chose i chose i can make all the excuses i can blame everybody else which is by the way I hear that all the time in counseling. Let me tell you, preacher, whose fault this really is. Guilt is not going to be removed that way. We could try to deny it. Well, I really didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you know, really, is that, is that really wrong? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, hey, we, we, we've heard this a lot. You hear this coming sometimes from leaders who are trying to stay in their position and so you know what i didn't really do wrong i this is kind of ridiculous and it's not that big a deal and i can think of a whole lot of other things that try to deny it you can run from it cover it blame shift deny it but you can't get rid of it that way psalm 38 4 says this mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden They are too heavy for me. You know what happens when you try to get rid of guilt those ways? Here's what happens. I'm just going to tell you, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier until you deal with it. So so what exactly is going on? What when guilt is in our lives, I mentioned earlier that, that guilt can be a good thing. Okay, Pastor, okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to process that. What exactly is going on then with guilt? Number two, the voice of guilt. Let me explain guilt to you. It's really kind of cool. The voice of guilt is your conscious. That's what it is. Your conscious. Look at verse number three of Psalm 51. For I acknowledge my transgression. And this next statement is incredible. It's so good. It is. It's so It's so revealing. My sin is ever before me. If you did it and you hit it, you can't get rid of it. <laughs> you can't. It's there. It will be before you. <laughs> and so what is the voice of guilt? Your conscience. And you need that. It's a good thing. The new th- Look up the word conscious in your New Testament, and you'll find it dozens of times. God has a lot to say about your conscience. Let me give you five biblical facts about your conscience. I'll give you these quickly. Number one, you you already know this, but all people have a conscience. Everyone has a conscience. This is a sense of right and wrong. Sense of right and wrong. If you violate your conscience, let me tell you what it's going to do. It's going to tear you up inside it's going to shame you it's going to bring guilt on your life it's going to bring anxiety in your life 
it is going to defeat you if you violate your conscience. But if you listen to it, here's what it's going to bring. We'll see this in verse 8, 9, and 10 of our text. If you listen to your conscience, it brings joy, it brings gladness, it brings relief. The bones that were broken by your sin begin to heal. It's incredible. Romans 1, here's what happens oftentimes, verse 21. Because that when they knew God. They knew God. They knew him. When they heard the Bible, when they were in church, when they were being raised in a Christian home. Are you with me? I mean, put whatever you want to put there. When they knew God, all of the things that are good. Church, Sunday school, uh, Bible college, Christian home. They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful. Say a good word to some of you young people sitting up front. We've got seven or eight of you teenagers blessed by God. Your conscience is so stinking loud and you know it. You've got a good families. You've been raised right by good people. But a lot of young people raised right who aren't thankful. We see them scattered all over the nation. Gutters and streets. Raised in Christian homes. When they knew God, but they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. Became vain in their imaginations. And the foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Every man has a conscience. Every person has a conscience. If you know God, if you have been blessed to know the truth, let the truth set you free. Don't argue against your conscience. Number two, your conscience is conditioned by what you know. Huge. This is big. It gets better, it gets bigger, it gets, it gets stronger, really. But, but this is a good one. Because what you know conditions your conscious that's why it's so important that you learn the word of god amen we need to learn the bible you know what the more i know about this bible the more it is a compass directing me into the right areas of my life the more i study god's word the more i know about what's right and what's wrong it's a good thing be very careful church and young people college students about this attitude that says Ah, you can't really know if that's right or wrong. There's really no right or wrong. Just if it feels good, do it. It's garbage. They profess themselves to be wise. They become fools. There is a right and wrong. There is absolute truth. It's found right here and it can set you free. And the more you know about what is right, the better off your conscience is able to make the right decisions. It's an incredible protection and knowing what's right and what's wrong. Number two, or three, your conscience is conditioned, even better yet, more important, by what you do. By what you do. The more you do right, the more sensitive your conscience becomes. It's almost like you can train your conscience. Isn't that cool? Just do right. Bob Jones Sr., this is old time. This is old time religion, but it's still good, Amen. Don't get so bent about old-time religion that you can't enjoy it every now and then. Let me get an amen right there. That's right. Old Bob Jones used to say, do right, do right, do right if the stars fall. Do right. That's an old Methodist preacher. Yapping and probably spitting while he yapped. (laughs) We don't do as much of that anymore, I know, as we probably should. 
But the truth of the matter is, is there is a lot of truth in doing right over and over again. In training your conscience to do right. Because if you don't do right, here's what's going to happen to your conscience. According to the New Testament, you can study this for yourself. Here would be a really good way to go, direction to go in your small group this week. What happens to a conscience that doesn't do right? Three things the Bible teaches. Number one, you wound it. You wound it. You go against your conscience. Your conscience says do right, and you don't do right, you just punched your conscience. Ugh, you bruised it. Do that again, you cut it. Do it again, it gets harder and harder for your conscience to do, to, to remind you that alarm is being damaged. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you're not responding to that, that moral alarm in your life. You wound it. Secondly, the Bible says you callous it. You see, after a while, you hit something long enough, you, you, you do something to hurt yourself long enough, and what happens is you're, you, you get callous to it. You ever had a callous on your feet or on your hands, and you can't feel it anymore, can you? You ever had a callus like that? And you, you could put your fingernail in that callus. You can dig it. You can put a knife. You can't really feel it. It's been calloused. The last word the New Testament uses is this, seared. You go from wounded conscious to calloused conscious to seared conscious. And I think I have a verse there, 1 Timothy 4, 2. I didn't... I don't think I put that for the screen, but I do have it here. I found it. I was looking, studying some more this morning. Here it is. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here is someone whose conscience is so seared, they just lie all the time. They lie, they lie, they lie. They lie, and you're like, that is, you want to just say, that is such a lie. Why are you saying that? No, that, look, this is what happened. No, it didn't happen. That didn't happen. Is why? You can't believe it. Why? Because you have a conscience. You're blown away. You're like, what in the world? How in the world? That is so frustrating. They're just, they're lying. Can, can I help you understand why they're lying? Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. They can't tell the truth anymore. They've lied so much. Sad, isn't it? And yet that alarm was going off. They just kept rejecting it. Not listening to it. Your conscience conditioned by what you do. Number four, your conscience can be overly sensitive. Your conscience can be overly sensitive. I call this a weak conscience. In fact, I'll be honest, I think scripture calls it a weak conscience. This is someone who feels guilty about things they aren't, that aren't even wrong. To be honest with you, this is a lot of independent Baptists before they got legalism out of their lives. You know? All this extra biblical stuff that we feel bad about. Oh my goodness, i got to get a haircut. Ah! Oh my goodness, is this modest enough? It goes down to my ankles. Can you see anything? We're freaking out. We're living these crazy, nervous lives. We got this con. No, you got a weak conscience, bro. Sis, it ain't wrong. Don't worry about that. People that are overly sensitive with their conscience, you think that's good. That's not good. That's no way to live. That, that's... You are still bound, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. If you've got courage enough to come, we're going to talk about freedom from religion. Sometimes we feel guilt about things that we're not even responsible for. Sometimes we feel guilt uh, over tradition. Well, I just, you know, Grandma did it that way, and if we don't do it that way, oh, what's Grandma going to think? She's been dead 50 years. It's okay. What about Grandpa? I mean, he, he told us that if we ever change, we lose our inheritance. Well, Grandpa was wrong. 
It's okay. Sometimes tradition and culture is nothing to get all crazy about. So thirdly, or fourthly, your conscience can be overly sensitive. I do have a verse here, Romans 14, 12, and this has to do with sometimes we feel guilty about things we're not responsible for. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Listen, you don't have to feel guilty over someone else's sin. Are you with me? Hey, look, Darian, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to play a game here, a little skit. I'm really sorry that, you know, don't, don't, this won't happen, I, I, I pray. Okay. I feel bad about doing this to Marlene. She's going to be like crying over here. Oh, God. I'm really sorry you messed your life up and you've, you've gone in a bad direction. I really feel, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be there for you. But, hey, Darian, deal with it. I've got to keep my life straight. Can I tell you, sometimes I think people live with the guilt of sins that somebody else committed. And we live our entire lives miserable because we feel responsible for something somebody else did. Every one of us shall give an account of who? Himself. I'm not going to give an account for you, Darian. As much as I want you to do right, say the same thing to me. Say it. I'm not going to give an account to you, preacher, right? You're a nice guy. I love you. I'm enjoying your sermon right now on the second row. Are you? Okay, good. And, uh, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, preacher, you're going to stand before God and give an account for yourself, and I'm going to stand before At the end of the day... You're alone before God. Amen. It's not going to be, oh, it's my time to go see God. Would you come with me? Come hold my hand. No, no. You're going to stand before God and give an account of yourself. So be very careful. Number five, ignoring the voice of your conscience is extremely dangerous. Ignoring the voice of your conscience is like pulling the railing off of your 25th floor balcony. And saying, you know what, I think I'll just run around up on this balcony. There's no railing. That's ah, okay. If I fall, I'll fall. Huh. It, it's like taking the, the poison label off of the poison underneath your sink and just saying, ah, oh, we'll figure it out. Let's take our chances. Yeah, use that one. That's good mouth spray. It's blue. <laughs> smells good. It's probably fine. I'm not sure if that's the one I took the poison it'll kill you label off of or not. Don't ignore the voice of your conscience. It's there for a reason. 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Shipwreck. You ever studied shipwrecks? I studied one here this weekend. <clears throat> 1994, does anybody remember the Estonia? That ferry that sunk in five minutes with 1,000 people on board and 900 died? In five minutes, they said the ship sunk in five, can you imagine? Here's how they described it. They said as the ship was sinking, people that were in the ship drowning, they said that many of them experienced about five minutes of just knowing they were going to die. Water comes up to their ankle. Water comes up to their knees. We're going to die. This is it. We're going under. We're going to die. Water comes up to the waist. It's over. Water comes up to the... 900 people died in 1994 aboard the ship Estonia. Shipwreck is a horrible way to die. You study shipwrecks. It'll... God didn't put that word shipwreck there just because, oh, let's just put shipwreck there. No, there's a reason for that. 
This is a life of a conscience that is, is not listened to. It's like being on a ship that's sinking. And then finally, number three, real quickly, let's finish this. How do I get free? Well, in closing, the message of guilt. You ready for the message of guilt? Here it is. The message of guilt is sin. It's the message. Guilt is trying to tell you there is a sin problem in your life. That's what it's trying to tell you. So quit denying it. It's okay. You say it is? Well, no, sin's not really okay, but it's okay to admit you are a sinner. Amen? In fact, if anybody here says they're not a sinner, whew, I got a lot of questions for you. I really do. That's what it is. The message of guilt is sin. Look, if you would, please, let's use as a text for that thought verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Anybody got any questions about when sin starts? Conception. Sinner. Guilt, the message of guilt is, is sin. We have a sin problem. Romans 5, 12. Do I have that on the screen, Ken? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all, all sin for all have sinned. What about this? 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Guilt is an alarm. Sin is the fire. Let that, let that process. That's the message. Sin is the fire. Guilt is the alarm. You know what? This is very important. Are you starting to like guilt a little bit more now? I want to get rid of it, don't I? Don't you? But can you see that we need to let it do its process before we get rid of it? Because if the alarm's going off and sin is the fire, I don't want to burn in my sin because I didn't listen to the alarm of guilt. Number four, the purpose of guilt is what? What is the purpose of guilt? It is repentance. Amen. The message of guilt is sin. The purpose of guilt, the whole purpose of it is to repent. Psalm 51, verse number four. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and none this evil in thy sight. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's what David does right there. David repents. David says, hey, I'm wrong. I am the man, God. I've been hiding this from everybody but you. And Nathan pointed it out. I wish I wouldn't have committed adultery. I wish when I was on that rooftop and I looked at that naked woman, I looked at that porn site, I looked at that thing I shouldn't have looked. I wish right then when my conscience went off that I would have responded. I would be in this mess, God. But I'm in a mess. God, I'm not going to let this happen any longer. Sin is twisted by thinking. And I repent against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's repentance. It's the purpose of guilt. Three things to repent. Number one, admit it. I did it, 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 I did it. Take personal responsibility for your sin. I did it. I did it, honey. I did it, sweetheart. I did it. I did it, pastor. I did it. Yes, I did it. That's me. I did it. Admit it. Number two, call it for what God calls it. Call it what God calls it. Sin. Sin. Don't white lie it. (laughs) Don't cover it up. Don't try to paint over it. Just call it what God calls it. S-I-N, sin. I'm telling you, folks. If you want to repent, you got to repent God's way. Admit it, 
call it what God calls it, and ask God for forgiveness. That's it. That's what David did. Purge me. Wash me. And I'll be whiter than snow. First, or rather Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isn't the Bible awesome? How does that verse fit at this point of the message? Is that not incredible? And finally, and I'm done. The result of repentance is freedom from guilt. Amen. The result of repentance is freedom from guilt. I said guilt is a good thing but only until it serves its purpose. Then, you know what I want to do? Get rid of that guilt. I want to walk out of this building free from the guilt of my sin. But I'm going to let it do its purpose in this sermon, in this message, in my marriage, in my life, in my pastoring, in whatever I do. God, I want to respond to the guilt, my, my conscience that, that, that causes me to realize by the good grace of God that I am I'm outside of your boundaries. And I want freedom from that guilt. And so this morning, we can repent. Whatever it is in our lives, it shouldn't be there. Whatever it is that right now you are, you are being convicted of, and you know it is. It's not, I don't know what it is. Don't get in the car today and say, man, who's talked to... No, I, I don't know. I, you guys all look really nice. You look like you've been washed thoroughly. Everybody's wearing really, I mean, decent. It's okay. You're good. Don't even need a tie to look nice. Amen. You just look really nice today. Well, preacher, I may look nice, but I got some stuff on the inside. It's not so nice. That's what I'm talking about. That's it. Repent. And let's get clean. Say, yeah, but I got to humble myself. I know. I know. Here's what's cool about humbling. God says, when we humble ourselves, he exalts us. You don't have to exalt yourself. God takes care of that when you humble yourself. Let's bow for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.